it feels like they never try to improve on like what the last season has done. It's like they never take in the information and say, I can do this a better way. They just don't. It's always like a weird lean to and it doesn't work and they always get wet. It's just like people have been building structures to keep them dry for, you know, um, half millennia. Half of it is open. Like the rain can sometimes <laughs> come in sideways because of wind, you guys. If anyone is um, wondering what we're talking about, I've recently become hyper fixated on Survivor for no reason at all. It's like all I do and think about and talk about. And I'm like looking up where these contestants are now, like, and uh, I, I just can't believe even Adam is starting to get into it. Like he's like sitting there watching a season from 2017 with me, like, come on. (laughs) Like, I know. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I was hyper fixated on survivor, like a year ago. So I kind of remember that reliving my days through vicariously through you. It's just so, so like funny how, silly it is because like they go in the first day and they're like i trust you completely i trust you completely i trust you completely don't (laughs) how many have you never watched again have you ever not watched a show don't trust trust anyone anyone. trust don't trust anybody also i was Uh, saying someone like because i've been posting constant instagram stories about survivor because it's like all i'm doing (laughs) and uh someone replied and they were like oh have you thought of going on survivor and i was like no, I have a day job that I want to return to, and I don't want them to see me on national television covered in dirt, wearing the same clothes for 30 days, psychologically torturing strangers. Like, thanks, but no thanks. How do you go back would, to, like, your life after that? It's so unhinged. I would a thousand percent love to watch you on Survivor. But we've had this conversation where I I think you would do better than you think you would. I would do really badly. I can't get anybody on. I'm so bad at your politics. Face. Yeah. I mean, maybe I maybe I could like but people also like if you make a joke, they're like, they're too likable. <laughs> Vote them out. <laughs> it's so weird. Like they somebody laugh, fucking get it. Really what I, I might love. be for the challenges. But I would love to get so I read because I'm like reading all this shit about how do I should can I go on Survivor? Do you get paid? If you get voted out the first day, you just have to stay there till production ends. So basically, if you get voted on the first day, you get a 30 day free vacation in Fiji and like a stipend. <laughs> so it sounds great. Sounds good. And yeah, especially like if you make it to the jury, I think you get can get paid like upwards of 50 grand and you just get to hang out in Fiji during the day. I don't want to win. Um, I just want to hang. Love. <laughs> like, that sounds so nice. In line with my like life philosophy, which is like just stay middle of the road and get through it. You know? I really, I don't think I would do very well. I don't think I, they would cast me on Survivor, but they wouldn't I, cast me because I'm know. fat. There are fat people on Survivor. That's like not half after of them 39 days. They have to make they have to make jokes about how much weight they've lost or like True. how you know Did you watch how bad the they season, are in challenges, um, etc. With like the chubby uh, newscaster who just kept doing like newscasts about the state of affairs. 
It was Edge of Extinction. So <laughs> I missed that one. It was no, so crazy. So it's called Edge of Extinction. And they also, when people got voted out, they didn't get sent like home. They got sent to like a shittier beach <laughs> where they just had to hang out with like one cup of rice. And no, I didn't. Because there was like the possibility they could get back in the game. So one, the lady That's that got terrible. voted out first just sat on that beach for like 36 days. And <laughs> that sounds terrible. Hello. I was like, I feel so bad for her, but I would have personally gone home because you had like the choice to go to the weird beach or just like go home, you know, <laughs> me, I'm giving you up. You also can't bring any books. I would be so bored. I'd be so bored. You can bring bored. two personal items, which are called luxury items. So they but you're can not be, like books. Thinking- you could bring a book. You're allowed to mm. like any kind of personal item you want. I read this as well. <laughs> and you have to go to survivor camp and get like medical examinations. And also you have to be mentally mm. fit. So I don't think I could go on survivor. <laughs> Some of those people on survivor are definitely not mentally fit at all. No, that's honestly they... some of the craziest people I've ever seen in my life. Make it onto that show. It's hard to say how you would act, right? Because you're not in that situation. But, like, these, some of these people are just, like, acting Did like they've see? never had a friend or, so you know, funny. like. There was uh, the Island of the Idols one. Did you see that one? They brought Sandra and Boston Rob back to, like, coach the castaways or whatever. And there was the what? this oh one God. woman, Nora. I hate Boston so, Rob. I don't like Boston Rob either, but I like Sandra. This woman, Nora, so insane. Like, she just, nothing that came out of her mouth made sense. And, of course, they brought her to, like, the final three just so, like, she would get no votes, which is, like, horrible. Mm. But, I mean, it's a A strategy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And she just, like, was nuts and so, like, erratic. And the things she said, I was like, what is she saying? Like, I don't even understand. (laughs) So I was like, what's Nora up to now? So I Google it. And the first article is like, Survivors Nora Didida says that the COVID vaccine is a tracking device, and I was like, "Okay, oh God. <laughs> gotta go." <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, we I are like, six minutes. Oh, go ahead. One final thought. On this Survivor. isn't a Survivor. No, I don't know. This isn't a Survivor <laughs> podcast. This is a horror movie. Horror movie about podcast. horror movies. If you're here and you don't know who we are and how you got here, we are a podcast about horror. Us movies. either. This is the Spooky Succubus cast and. Anti-racist, anti-capitalist, intersectional feminist, leftist, but not the racist white man kind podcast about not the Bradley Whitfield kind. Not he's not a leftist. He's a lovely middle of the road neoliberal, just like all of our white parents. Whatever. White boomer parents Um, chewed on lead chips and now just they would vote for Obama third term if they could. So that's a little clue. Perfect. It's a perfectly written line. I love it so much. It was really ideal. I had it twice. It was so, so good. So, in celebration of Black History Month, we are today covering Jordan Peele's, I think, directorial debut, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm sure he directed film, episodes of Key and Peele. Film di- directorial debut. Get out. Key and Peele is so funny. Get out. <laughs> Get, Get out. out. It's Get out. Hilarious. Get out. The bit where we're gonna say that joke again too. So the bit where they're doing the um, like the college football players, and they all have like the funniest names, and one of them is so good, and one of them is just like Morse code. (laughs) 
beep, 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 beep. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. He's he also wrote for Mad TV, um, which I, I haven't thought about so Mad TV in I'm ages. Sure it's, did not age well. I'm a well, thousand percent sure it did not age well. I did like a lot when I was 12. Shoving his foot in his mouth, like on very, I don't know why oh, podcasts yeah. keep having Bobby Lee on. He never says anything that isn't offensive. He just like keeps sucking. Yeah. Um, and there's just so many that like Miss Swan, no way, no fucking way, you know? That was Absolutely not. Alex, Alexis. Straight something. up. That's a white lady. Yeah. Uh, gold. I kind of only Goldstein. remember Stuart. Stuart. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, but this, this isn't, isn't a podcast about TV. Podcast TV. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Get Out. Um, 2017 directorial film. Directorial debut by Jordan Peele. An absolute masterpiece. I think he like broke records with how much he grossed as a black director from this film. Um, incredible. Of course, we are cognizant of the fact that we should not just be covering black directors during Black History Month, but we're making a start here. Um, and on the bonus feed, we covered Tales from the Hood this week. Week? Month? I mean, month. full disclosure, uh, again, they don't let they mostly let white men, they mostly green light white men's projects. Um, but we have like, covered black covered filmmakers black in the horror, past. Yeah. And we, we make a, we make a conscious effort to not only cover just white men and yeah, other, I guess I undersold other identifying. We're, yeah. Yes. We cover. And when we do cover Hattis. white men, we blame them for everything. The only black horror movie that we Mm -hmm. covered that I, like, capital H hated was Bad Hair, which was kind of a drag because the casting was good and they were working with what they had. So, are you ready to do this? Um, Kelly Rowland did a great job. She, that song, good casting. That song slapped for sure. So, yeah, we are not black. We do not. We can't speak from a place of the Black experience in America, and that's America with three Ks, um, but we will try to talk about this movie as sensitively and knowledgeably as we can, but we are idiots, so please, you know, ping us on whatever platform if you have feedback, <laughs> but I know yeah. no one is listening to this, so whatever. Okay, <laughs> so. It's okay. We'll be Okay. We open on a quiet street where Andre, played by Lakeith Stanfield, who we discovered just a mere hour ago, is pretty problematic but extremely hot, uh, is walking we'll along. We'll get into well. it later, but I still have <laughs> a lot of feelings about on him. the phone and trying to find like a destination, and the person on the phone is directing him. Um, but it's weird, and he's not comfortable because he's in like a white suburban neighborhood. Um, a white sports car playing Run Rabbit which is a huge red flag, pulls up behind him and he rightfully rightfully gets freaked out and goes back the way he came. But when he turns around to check what's going on behind him, which like, don't turn around, keep going, keep it going. Never turn Uh, around. The driver's side of the car is open and he's attacked, knocked unconscious and kidnapped by the driver. We then get the I did like, like that's a female experience, like being followed by yeah. a car, turning around. It was that very is a, that is new, That's something that I've done before. Yeah, that was. Like, yeah, 
If you haven't run away from a strange car that is following you, have you even lived a day have in you, America? What's it like? As a woman or walking down the street. <laughs> yeah. As if uh, nothing could bother you. Have you ever gotten drunk and known that you'll get blamed for being drunk if anything bad happens to you? Yeah. Love it. Hurt. So, Deep pain. Ow. Uh, we get the opening credits, which I, because I had watched Tales from the Hood, like, right before this, I think those, like, quick violin bars are an homage to the score of Tales from the Hood. But that's, in my Maybe. imagination, completely. But then... Jordan uh, Peele a- did say he got inspiration from Tales from the Hood, so... Yes. Uh, there's yeah. quick violin bars, and then we move into a really good spooky blues song, which I really loved and forgot to look up. So if you looked it up, let me know. And that's me telling you to look it up while I talk. <laughs> and then I I'm already on, on it. And then we pan through a, a thick wooded area. Um, elsewhere in uh, Chris Washington's apartment, Redbone by Childish Gambino is playing, which is a really good song. And I love it. Um, and we're looking at, we're like pan over a few of photographer Chris Washington's photos. And then we see him getting ready in his apartment. His girlfriend, Rose, played by Allison Williams. Played by Daniel Kaluuya. Thank you. I the forgot to mention. The hottest man alive. He is a um, snack attack. He's so hot. He's hotter and just like somehow. It's because he's a little bit bigger and nope. He's a little uh, bigger and he's a little, little more like bigger. annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he he I just mean, he like looks- has I mean, okay, so we already discussed this off air, but he's not o- that old, not much older than us and is so successful and so good at his job and like has just like such an expressive face and really sad eyes. And I he's just a great actor. Him. And He's so I forgot quiet, about him on Skins, but I don't recommend going back to rewatch Skins because that's just like a full-on emotional destruction I'm not ready for right now. I barely made it through the first I, couple of times. We've talked about how much I love Black Mirror. And yeah, I when remember I watched this 15 Million Merits, this is the I was one like, with, um, who is that? I wasn't must the, Sorry, I'm talking over you, but I'm like, my brain is not processing as fast as I wanted to. <laughs> Um, the lady Sybil was in that one, right? From Downton Abbey, the woman. Her name is. I've never, something. I've never so, watched Downton Abbey. She has a name, okay? Uh, she's like the I'm very sorry. pretty brunette with like kind of a round face. I I can picture the person in that episode, but I don't. I've never seen her in anything else. I like when it's I believe like you. Something something explained. <laughs> Like I just looked up 15 million merits and explained popped up and I was like, I don't need it explained. I'm not smart enough. Do I need it explained? <laughs> Maybe. Or I love when it's like you look up a horror movie and it's like ending explained. Yeah. Ending revealed. I'm like, what if I didn't yes. want it revealed to like, me? I'm fine. Not knowing. Jessica Brown <laughs> is her name. She played Sybil on Downton Abbey. Tragically killed off in the early seasons. She was a socialist, and I think that's why. <gasps> How dare Conspiracy! they So, uh, Chris's girlfriend, Rose, played by Allison Williams, arrives, arrives <laughs> with coffee and pastries. Uh, they're going to visit her parents in upstate New York, and Chris asks if they know that he's black, and Rose says no, should they? 
And then Rose goes on to say they're not racist, that her dad would have voted for Obama a third time if he could have, and that Chris will feel all the love during the visit, which I think call the trip off then. (laughs) I just like when someone's like, does it matter that your white family knows that I'm black? And it's like immediately like, okay, maybe let's reevaluate this relationship. I'm at risk for physical safety at every minute of the day. Exactly. Um, So on the way upstate, Chris calls his friend Rod, who's looking after his dog, Sid. Rod says he shouldn't go to his white girlfriend's parents' house um, at all. You shouldn't do it. And I, then- <laughs> Rod never has never said one thing wrong. He is our voice of reason, of course, in this movie. But like, he just his line delivery, every single thing he says is he knows true and right. All sorry, um, I bonked my mic. If you heard a noise, quit bonking. Yeah. No, I mean, he's I like Rod is all of us, right? Like Rod is the viewer because. Like when he says get out over and over again, like Jordan Peele said, right. you know, when, when black people go to the movie theater and see a horror movie, they're like, don't do that, dumb fuck, because they have right. a lived experience of like being very wary of violence at all moments. So I think Rod is like our surrogate in the movie being like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Right. And he's played by Lil Rel Howery, who's, um, he's like kind of turning into a character actor. He he's says TSA everywhere. agents still recognize him when he goes to the airport from Aww. this role. <laughs> he does a great job and he's very funny. And he also, he, uh, is, so both Daniel Kulia and Lakeith Stanfield are in, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and so is yes. Laurel Howery. I think a bunch of people from the, they and all I... know each other. Like, hey, you want to be in this movie? <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like when Daniel Kaluuya like puts on the weight and nope, he like becomes everything I love about Rod. I'm like, yeah, he just looks good as a thick boy. Uh, I, I mean, he, I, I love, love a thick man. Yeah. Okay, um, that's just me just um, his eyes. You know, hyper-sexualizing a black man, which is something we need, we'll talk about further. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Yes, he has really sad, watery eyes. <laughs> when he cries, I'm like, I'm gonna fucking cry, you know? <laughs> it was, and like the, I will get into it, but the scene with, the, the first scene when he gets hypnotized, like, Oh, you just mean like, when he's, his, he's physically, mentally violated without permission yeah i remember yeah but he's acting perfect yeah so uh they're still driving and uh oh yeah sorry they hit a deer and pull over and they can hear it deer metaphor woods deer metaphor fun fact jordan peele himself made the noises of the dying deer (laughs) which i was was surprised and delighted to learn Chris goes to Love. check and it has a pretty bad belly wound. And then we cut to Rose after calling the cops uh, and they're like, you should have called the animal control stupid. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And then they ask to see Chris's ID and Rose gets annoyed and says that he hasn't done anything. And like, he's being ridiculous and the cop does drop it. They continue and make it to the house. They drive past the black groundskeeper, Walter, who is like, hello. And then um, they greet the parents, do some chit-chat. 
Daddy, a.k.a. Bradley Whitford, a.k.a. Dean, gives Chris a tour of the house, starting with Missy's office, and he says that she's a psychotherapist. The basement is sealed off, another red flag, so they head into the kitchen where Chris meets Georgina, the housekeeper, who is also offish. Uh, outside, they run into Standing Walter. Standing there. Just like, meh. That scene uh, is like... She's honestly <laughs> the scariest person in the movie. She's so good at being, like, freaky. It's like, like yeah, her the eyes scene are where dead. She's apologizing for unplugging the phone. I was like, oh, <laughs> um, oh my god, get out! Yeah, it wasn't played by Gert, Betty Gabriel. Gert, Gert. Uh, outside, they run into Walter again, and Dean says he knows what Chris is thinking—that all of their employees are black, and he knows how it looks. They then have an awkward beverageino on the porch. The parents, uh, Rose and Chris. And Dean notices that Chris is craving a cigarette, which, like, if somebody was, like, jittery, I wouldn't automatically assume cigarette. I would be like, maybe they have ADHD or, like, are neurodivergent or just, like, are uncomfortable in this situation. It was just, like, kind of a weird, <laughs> like, a weird But aside. I think that Rose had told them that he smoked cigarettes. Right. So that was, like, their way to be like, you should be hypnotized. Right. Uh, He says Missy could perform hypnosis to help him quit, but Chris declines. It's revealed that there is an annual party, a tradition carried over from Dean's dad being held that weekend while Chris and Rose are visiting. Uh, Georgina zones out while she's pouring Chris's tea and almost spills, and then Missy tells her to go lie down. Brother of Rose, Jeremy, arrives. Uh, He's a horrible man. They have dinner, and he tells the tale of a long-ago party where Rose had her first kiss and accidentally bit the boy's tongue off, um, which I That whole dinner scene is disgusting. This is when, The story before that about the toenails, I was like, That was gross, too. I didn't even write it down because it was too gross. But this is when I first started picking up the, like, very, in my feeling, like, light allusions to a plantation house because... You know, the long, like, table, and they're really, like, weird candle lighting and, like, the just, like, extremely tense situation, like, with the power dynamic between Jeremy and um, Chris was just, like, so tense. And this is actually extremely embarrassing, but it reminded me of... (laughs) <laughs> the scene in Django Unchained where uh, Jamie I knew you were going to say that is having dinner and Leonardo DiCaprio is like, "You're lucky to be here, and I could kill you if I wanted to." You know, right, right. Which, which is also yeah. like something that they talk about immediately after, like the the whole weird tongue biting thing is like Chris's physical prowess and his genetic makeup and how yes. if he tried, he could be, you know, which is something so, that is in yes, Django Unchained. I will- here we go. Uh, Chris has a like 400th round of awkward eye contact with Georgina. Like Georgina enough <laughs> is like enough to get out of this house. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy asks Chris like really racist and pointed questions about whether he's considered MMA fighting uh, or street fighting. And he says he has like the physical prowess to be great if he did some training. Uh, eventually he tries to play fight with Chris, but Missy calls him off and sends him away. And he says he wasn't going to hurt him for real and takes a bottle of wine that heads off. And 
when I first saw this movie, I was like, oh, maybe he's like struggling internally with like the horrible things he does to black people. And he's like drinking his sorrows away. And like, you know, maybe he'll like turn and, you know, help. No, he's a bad man. No, (laughs) Um, no, no. Mm -hmm. So Rose and Chris get ready for bed and Rose rants about her family's shitty racist behavior. Chris is like, I told you so. And then they smooch and go to bed. Chris has trouble sleeping and dreams that an insect is buzzing around his head. He decides to sneak out for a butt and on the back deck, another terrifying scene. He sees Walter sprinting across the yard directly towards him at full speed. And he turns just before like running head on into him. Then he turns around. So scary. And uh, Georgina is like vacantly staring out the window as if it's a mirror and fixing her hair. When he comes back in, Missy freakily catches him and asks if he realizes how dangerous smoking is. And she's like, do you smoke around my kid? I'm like, your kid is an adult. Shut up. <laughs> she's and, sitting in the dark. And then like, snaps the light on. She doesn't turn on the light. I'd be like, nah. I Actually, I think I have diarrhea. I gotta go. Like, I I'm not gonna go. I have a terrible stomach bug. Yeah. Why did she make it so weird? She could have just been sitting there reading. Like, of all the ways to be sitting in a room. Chris is kind of an idiot. I mean, but that's yeah, the point. I, that's the point, right? But I, it was just don't go in there. Don't say you have to go. It's the middle of the night. I don't know. But anyway. uh, so yes, Missy asks him to come sit with her, and she scrapes her spoon quietly against her teacup, methodically, and asks him Which questions about his mother's death. He's reluctant at first, but begins to answer, and he starts to, like, really get psychologically tortured because Missy forces him, like, back into the memory of his mom's death. He begins to cry and then realizes that he can't move. She then commands him to sink into the floor, and he goes down to the sunken place where Missy appears above him like a distant screen. He wakes up in Rose's bed, extremely startled, and then he takes that morning a little walk in the woods to take some pictures when he comes back he sees uh georgina acting weird what else is new and then he goes to chat with walter who's also extremely bizarre he says he didn't his smile so scary that actor did a great job too he didn't mean to scare chris with his by marcus hender thank you He didn't mean to scare Chris with his exercise last night and asks him if the hypnosis worked. And he's, like, really, uh, like, tense and weird and using, like, language that a man of his age from the Black community would never use. Like, isn't she the bee's knees or something? (laughs) I don't remember exactly what he said. It was was a lot of, like, silly terms. Yeah. Yeah. Chris tells Rose that Missy hypnotized him without consent and describes the sunken place. He also tells her that Walter was really weird and suspects that he is jealous of him. The party starts and the old whites start to arrive. Everyone is unhinged, uh, ranging from asking if Chris's dick is big to saying that black is in fashion. Uh, Chris spots Andre. This is another part where, like, if your partner is allowing you to be in this space where you're being... Like and then like I'm so sorry. Rach- like assaulted based on yeah. race. Yeah. Is like yeah. no. Like we- why are you dating this girl? Like if this is 
at any indication how she's acted any other point in your relationship. No. Yeah. It should never yes. gotten to meet the parents weekend ever. No. Chris. No. God. No. So bad. You're dumb. Uh, so Lakeith Stanfield's character, Andre, is now introducing himself as Logan King, and he is acting weird. Uh, when Chris first, like, he's like, I'm so happy to see, like, another Black person here, and he's like, and then um, he attempts to fist bump him when they, like, are done chatting, and Logan, a.k.a. Andre, just reaches out and grabs his entire fist. It's so weird. He's also dressed like an 80-year-old man and wearing a hat. An ugly hat. Ugly hat, ugly shirt, sweater, ugly pants. A lot of tweed. Uh, Chris then runs into Steven Root, who I think R.I.P., but he's a pretty good actor. I remember him from 30 Rock, no. I think. No. He, no, I'm thinking of Rip Torn. I'm thinking of Rip Torn. Yeah. I love Steven Root. Sorry. I love him. He's also uh, a very good actor. And his, so, good his actor. comedic timing is so good. Uh, he is uh, playing Jim Hudson, the owner of Hudson Galleries. He says he's a fan of Chris's work, and he's a former artist that turned to art dealing but eventually went blind. So now he works with his assistant to purchase work. He uh, Chris heads upstairs where he finds that Georgina has unplugged his phone. Rose joins him, and he shares his suspicions, but Rose pushes back, and he just drops it. Uh, Chris then calls Rod and tells him everything that's happened. Rod tells him things are not right and that he should be scared. And he says, if all the other black people are acting weird, Missy probably hypnotized all of them. So Rod figures it out in like 30 seconds, maybe less. Uh, With like basically no context. (laughs) No information. Except for that. (laughs) It's a black man around white people. And he's like, "Mm, you're unsafe. Some get out. Yeah. Uh, Georgina mysteriously appears in the doorway. He got hypnotized. What? Like, I'm just... I didn't tell you you could hypnotize me, and you psychologically Leave. tortured me with my memories of my mother's death when I was a child. Okay, cool. Bad. Um, All bad. Georgina arrives, and he, as he hangs up with Rod, and she apologizes for unplugging the phone. He tells her he's just nervous because there's too many white people, and Georgina laughs. A single tear rose down her cheek and she says no over and over again and says that that hasn't been her experience and that the Armitages are good to her and treat them like family. White women's tears in a black Horrifying. He heads so back scary. out to the party and Dean literally like accosts him with like 45 white people. Also, do you feel like we can talk about this later, but the styling of the white people was so clever because they all looked kind of fucked up, you know, like they're yeah. with the like all ladies lipstick, so- awkward, ill fitting and the lipstick would like run over the mouth and like things just didn't look right, you know? Yeah, they were all like, um, they had like a gray gardensy like money, but ah, sort like of old weird money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the money is running out. <laughs> um, <laughs> he heads back to the party, and like a million white people plus one Japanese man assault him. They ask him about the black experience in America, and Chris punts it over to Logan, who has arrived in the circle, and he says, "I mean, I'm good. I haven't noticed anything weird." I don't leave the house that often. I love to do chores. And Chris surreptitiously takes a photo of him with his phone, but the flash goes off. Logan's nose starts to bleed. 
starts to bleed. Andre kind of comes back out and he tells Chris over and over again to get the fuck out. Get out. Get out. Missy pulls Logan slash Andre aside. And then when they come back, he's back to normal and she claims that it was a seizure. Rose uh, takes Chris on a walk and he said his cousin is epileptic and it was definitely not a seizure. Something is really wrong. He said when Logan came at him, it was a different person than Logan and it was someone that he recognized. Chris wants to leave, but Rose is really sulky about it because she's a bitch. (laughs) Um, Elsewhere, Dean is, we have like gone from things are suspicious to things are fucking crazy. Elsewhere, Dean is holding an auction, a silent auction, like literally silent, um, with Chris's photo behind him. Yeah. And Jim Hudson wins it's like the auction. Yeah. With a, and they're auctioning with bingo cards. Yeah. Uh, Chris <laughs> tells Rose about his mom's death. He was frozen. He was 11 years old, frozen when she didn't come home. And he didn't call 911 when she wasn't around. She He found out later his mom survived the initial hit and might have lived if someone had been looking for her, but he was too scared to call. Which is like... Why, why you beautiful man? Are you carrying this around with you? Like, it's not, you were a little kid. Like, it's not your fault. It's something he's, it seems like he's never said out loud, which is just yeah. as sad. It's, it's so sad. And, because I mean, we'll get into Rose later. But... Oh, we'll get into yeah. it. That's why it's so fucked up. We'll get into Very it. Very awful. I hate her. Yeah. Um, Rose agrees to leave and they head back to the house. The vibe is weird when they get back. Um, Chris then sends a picture of Logan to Rod, who's like, that is Andre Hayworth. We know that guy. He's a missing person. Uh, Chris says he knew he recognized him. And Rod says, you're in an eyes wide shut situation, which I thought was funny. And then Chris's phone dies. Uh, Chris then notices a little cubby hole in Rose's room and snoops. Got a snoop. He finds a box of photos of Rose with other significant others that are all black. And he finds that Walter and Georgina are in the mix. Again, imagine like having sex with someone and then putting, making them your grandma. It's so weird. (laughs) Weird. Back in the bedroom, Rose has appeared like out of nowhere. uh, And she's like, I'll just find the car keys and then we'll go. Downstairs, Rose is continuing to not find the keys and Chris is slowly surrounded by the other family members. Dean asks, Dean snaps. uh, He asks, what his purpose in life is and makes a weird speech about mortality. Chris gets increasingly upset. And then Rose reveals that she's in on it. She had the keys the whole time. And then he's not getting out of here. Missy hypnotizes him with her teacup. So she, Chris goes back to the sunken place and Dean and Jeremy carry him downstairs. This was probably the most sinister moment in the movie because when he thinks Rose Catherine says, Keener. terrifying. Oh, yeah, she's so good at being like quiet. And um, this horrifying. Was, this thing that happened next, I thought was like disgusting. He's sinking, and Rose tells him that he was one of her favorites. Well, fuck Rose. Fuck, fuck Rose. her. Uh, R- Rod is at work. He's at the TSA uh, on the job, and he's like extremely suspicious. May we all have a friend like Rod? Rebecca is my Rod. I'll you're, be your friend like Rod. I'm always the, suspicious of white people. You're the Rod to my not Chris, because I don't think I would fall for this. No offense to Chris. <laughs> you wouldn't be in that situation. 
Uh, uh, Chris is kind of stupid. <laughs> he checks Chris's apartment, feeds Sid, and he's getting really worried. Uh, he Googles Andre Hayward, and I think this is what happened, but I'm stupid. He So he notices Rose's face, like, cut out of one of the missing person's photos, right, of Andre Hayward, and then he puts it together. Oh, I didn't catch that. Because there's, like, I no. think there's, like, just half of her face that has been cropped. Um, and then he's like, oh, shit, I figured it out. In the basement uh, where Chris is now living, he not living, he's in a chair. He's been bound to a chair <laughs> facing an extremely he vintage. He's alive in the basement. Uh, very vintage TV set. The set clicks on and a video of an old man plays who's revealed to be Dean's father, Roman Armitage. Don't trust a white man named Roman. That's what I say. Just like in Scream 3. You know, and Um, the video says that the viewer has been chosen because of their physical advantages to undergo the coagula procedure. He says (sighs) not to fight it. And then the entire Armitage family appears on screen to creepily wave. The video changes to the teacup that Missy used to hypnotize Chris and he passes out again. Sip break. Uh, I think coagula is like a perfect scary sounding. Name. I know. Behold the coagula. Okay. I feel like it's a deity that I would not worship. Um, the coagula. So Rose had. Oh, sorry. Rod has headed to the cops and he lays out the situation. Uh, he shows him the picture of Andre and tells the cop his theory. And then she disbelieves him and calls in some other detectives to laugh at him. And I was like, that's white supremacy dog. Also, and then it's all pretty- of the, all the co- cops are people of color, people of color, Black. but it's not like unbelievable. Like, Hey, this guy is no. missing. He's in this photo randomly looking like a, not the same version of himself. And mm-hmm. my friend got hypnotized without giving consent and things are getting like weirder. I would be like, okay, that's enough. Let's just to, go like, check it out. If Chris was a white lady, maybe I'm all right. Right. Am I right, guys? Yeah, the fact that you can go missing and people that you know didn't even know that is just as horrifying. Like, yeah, that's right? scary. Rod calls Rose, uh, who, this is, Allison Williams did a good job with his scene because she's on the phone with Rod doing, like, the same version of Rose, which is, like, the really empathetic, like, sweet version, while in reality, what the camera sees is her just, like, looking like a statue. She's wearing a weird white turtleneck, and her face is not moving. So she, like, pretends that she's surprised that Rod hasn't seen Chris. Uh, and Rod knows she's lying, so he decides to record her. But when she figures out she's being recorded, she switches tactics and tries to, like, talk about their, like, sexual tension between them. Because if anything weird happens, obviously, if there is, like, any kind of established history of a sexual relationship, Rod will get, you know, blamed and possibly blamed, killed. Yeah. So Rod panics and hangs up. And he says she's a genius afterwards because he knows he got, like, really played. Yeah. Um, in the basement, Jim ha- pops up on screen in a hospital gown, and he asks Chris, how's it going? There's an intercom in the room, so Chris can respond. Um, Jim says that he's one of the lucky ones, and that Jeremy's wrangling method is much more violent. 
Uh, Jim explains the procedure. The first phase was the hypnotist. Am I dumb? So he said phase one and then skip to phase three, right? Phase one was the initial hypnosis. Then phase two Two. is the second, the the first video that they watched. The like introduction to the coagulant. In any case, the final phase is transplantation. He will have... um, Jim's brain put into his body and his existence will be as a passenger. His consciousness will be there, but he'll live in the sunken place as Jim lives in Chris's body. Jim asks why, sorry, Chris asks why black people. And Jim says that people want to be stronger, faster and cooler. But what Jim wants is deeper. Chris's eyes. Chris is uh, not feeling great. And he is put to sleep again by the teacup. It is time for the procedure. Jim and Dean are already in the OR with Jeremy looking like a very sinister orderly assisting. Jeremy goes to get Chris as Dean is cracking into Jim's skull. But Chris has managed to wake up and bashes Jeremy in the head with a bocce ball. Chris, uh, because he has like this nervous tick of scrape, like scraping his fingernails on like whatever he's holding, he busted open the chair and made earplugs out of the chair stuffing, which is something I never would have thought of. So he's not that dumb. And Cotton as savior is genius. Genius metaphor. 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 <laughs> um, I don't know. It's so- a metaphor. When Jeremy's tardy returning to the OR, uh, Dean checks things out and he's impaled with the antlers of the deer head that was in the room with Chris while distracted. Uh, Chris lights the house on fire, heads upstairs and runs into Georgina and Missy. He's able to smash Missy's teacup before she can get to to it to hypnotize him. Missy tries to stab him with a letter opener, but he blocks it with his hand. It goes fully through his hand and her hand. And then um, he yanks it out and I think stat, like slits her throat or stabs her or something. No, it's, it's I think stabbed her. Oh, with the brain. temple? I think he, okay, yeah. I missed it. It all happened so fast. On it the way great. out the door, he is jumped by Jeremy. Jeremy chokes him and Chris starts to fade a little bit because of no oxygen. But he gets close enough to the door to steal the skeleton key and stabs Jeremy's leg. And then he really stomps the shit out of Jeremy's head and steals Good. his keys. It's smushed. Elsewhere, uh, Rose is having a snack of dry Fruit Loops followed by like tiny sips of milk and is Googling her next victim. Of this scene, Jordan Peele said that he wanted to like show how like weird and detached he is. And he said, there's something kind of horrific about milk. Think about it. Think about what we're doing. Milk is kind of gross. And I agree. And it also gives me diarrhea. (laughs) It's, um... You know, milk is, like, used to symbolize this, the, you know, scariness of white people. Think McPoyles, right? From Always Sunny oh my in God. Philadelphia. It's like, That's actually it's a like, really good comparison. Thank you. I feel like, like I kind of want to watch Always Sunny again. It was, like, a kind of genius show. I don't know. They can like, do blackface. There's problems. There's definite problems. Yeah, remember that? I am very attracted to Mac. Of course. So, and a fat um, mac is the best mac, too. It's not even fat. Like, get fatter. <laughs> right? This is like, a, he gained 20 pounds, and they're all like, you they're might like, die! Disgusting. Please. Chris hops calm, everyone into, calm down. 
I know, right? You know what? I, it was circu- circulating on um, TikTok a while ago. Okay, so, you know, like the dupe trend where it's like basically just, you know, rich people are discovering that store brands exist and you can get like fancy things in a shittier version. Like, <laughs> and um, we can't even some, have generics anymore. You know, like, come on, give me, give me my store brands. So um, someone posted the TikTok or the sunny clip where um, I think Mac is like, oh, these people, like new poor people don't know how to be poor, but like we're old poor. Like we've been like, poor for years. Like we know how to do it. We're old poor. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Chris hops into the car, drives away, but unfortunately hits Georgina. Because of mom guilt, he cannot leave her there. So he pops her into the passenger seat. Rose has figured out what's going on and yells, Grandma, as they drive away. Grandma that I fucked. Um, in the car, Georgina's wig slips off and a huge scar is visible on her forehead. She lashes out at Chris, saying he ruined her house and the car crashes. Chris gets out of the car and tries to run, but Rose and Walter appear and Rose has a big gun. Um, Walter attacks Chris, but then Chris uses his phone flash to make Walter snap out of it. He asks to be the one to kill Chris, but when Rose gives the gun to Walter, he shoots her and then turns it on himself, which was very sad. (sighs) Yeah, I like, and then all of the people who are stuck in the sunken place, how do they get them out? They don't. I hope. You just can't. That... I believe that Rod got them out. I don't know. I, like, want to believe that they got Is out, he a doctor? You know? Like, they need a doctor. No, do they a just need a cell phone camera flash. <laughs> but there's still another brain inside of their head. Oh, yeah. And where's their brain? Probably in a hat, like, the hazmat bucket. I feel like they just threw the brains Probably away. Probably in a landfill somewhere. Down the toilet. I don't know. That's horrible. Um, eh, uh, Rose is still alive and tries to reach the gun, but Chris pulls it away from her. She puts on her, like, fake version of herself and apologizes to Chris and says she loves him. But he starts to strangle her, and then she does, like, a really sinister smile. He lets go and looks at her as a siren blares. And she's like, help! I'm a white lady in danger. Uh, But it... Turns out to be Rod in an official TSA vehicle. Chris gets in the car, bloody and traumatized, and Rod is like, hate to say it, but I told you so. Chris, I mean, I probably would say I told you so, too. Like, does. Like, you shouldn't have gone, you idiot. Why were you in this situation? Chris asks how Rod found him, and he says he's TS motherfucking A, and they handle shit. And that Chris can consider this shit handled. Uh, They drive away as Rose bleeds out alone and cold and hopefully in pain. And that's the end. Um, Oh, and we reprise the same very cool song, which Rebecca has found the name of. No, I never found it. Oh, okay. Never mind. (laughs) I'm sorry. The soundtrack on IMDb was three songs. So it's one of those songs. No, but it's the only ones listed were Redbone. I I closed the tab, but anyway, I'll find sure. it. I can like, I do some more digging. You know what the original ending was, right? No, tell me. It was they. It was actually going to be the cops, and they were going to shoot Chris to death or Glad arrest that him. Didn't or happen. That would have been really... such a bummer. I'm like, 
And they, I think he played it for test audiences, and they were like, no, They're I like, think this is Rod should much. come save the day. Yeah, this is too big of a bummer. Like, Unfortunately, that is more accurate, but much we, more all, accurate. we all needed Rod here. <laughs> yeah. We all need Rod all the time. I, like, it is more realistic for it to be the cops. It's not a very realistic ending for him to be like, I just found you because I'm the TSA. He Like, how did he really find him? You know, he, he found him. He but, he found you know. he knew Rose's name. You know, Rose's family. not her real. I'm sure that's not her real name. No, she gave the arm. She gave Armitage the real name. Mm, okay, all right. He tells it to the cops. Remember, so he knew her first and last. So, and they're like a pretty wealthy, established family. So theoretically, he could have just googled it, right? Yeah. I believe in Rod. <laughs> um, you, in Rod, we trust. Yeah. So Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, excuse me, and Allison Williams were cast first. Daniel nailed his audition, and I think that um, Allison had was received received an off <laughs> received an offer because she had just played Peter Pan on Broadway, so she was oh, like God. pivoting from like this really childlike like beloved character and peel was like oh people like trust her because she's marnie and peter pan and then suddenly she'll be like an absolutely unhinged psycho but i actually think marnie and girls was also a psycho um i hated girls hate it we'll go on record saying it's the it's a fucking terrible show and lena dunham is fucking terrible on tiktok too like a lot of clips of girls and people are like Say what you will about Lena Dunham, but this show is good and like the writing is good. I was like, it's not there's better it's writing. Bad. Like there's, it had a moment. If the moment is over, there's way better written shows, and I never want to see these women's faces again. I hated uh, Jemima Kirk. I hated Lena Dunham. I hated them, and I watched. I the don't whole know. Show. I didn't watch the whole show. I couldn't. I think I got through like maybe two seasons, and I didn't watch it at the time either. Nothing. There was like um, no reason to finish the fucking show. There, I don't. I, you know, I'm not always right, and my my opinions aren't always right, and sometimes you I are make always terrible things, right. like Mad TV. But <laughs> I never. I was always like Lena Dunham is suspicious, Evil. and I don't like yeah. her vibe. And I watch girls. Mm-hmm. I think I watched like one episode when it came out, and I was like, this shit's bad. And then I didn't watch it again, and then I tried to revisit it like a couple years ago, and I was like. No, I was right. This shit is bad. Another example problematic. of like, cancel culture isn't real. Lena Dunham wrote a book in Ugh. which she admitted to sexually abusing her sister and still is like writing shows and movies. So that's there's cool. There's this um, YouTuber that I, let me pull it up, what her YouTube name is, who she like did this deep dive and she does deep dives into like corporations and like celebrities and she did one on um lena dunham oh it's the illuminati but it's spelled like naughty like that oh Um, i've heard of that yeah yeah i think she does a good job mostly i don't know but um knock it off but uh so i don't know anything about allison williams except for she's a nepo baby of like a of like a liar uh, Brian Williams is straight up lied about a lot of things oh, that yeah. happened in his career, right? Like he, that's that. it's 
embarrassing. And she's a Nepo baby. And I don't, you know, whatever. She uh, was in M3gan, aka Megan. uh, And she was fine. Oh, really? I something about like the really deadpan way she talks kind of like relaxes me. It's like vocal ASMR. Um, And she was fine. And is it the way I talk? Is yes. that the, is that why you like me? <sighs> um, Maybe she doesn't but, suck. I don't know. I mean, like she's not a great, like she's not an exceptional actor. She does a good job in this movie. I think this role is kind of like built for her, you know, made for her. Yeah, but whatever. Rose is a know? character. She does do a good job of Rose. Rose as a character makes me so fucking upset. Even so, the first instance of her weaponizing her whiteness right against the cop and like like pushing against his authority seems as if it's to protect uh chris but it's really to protect herself and her family and to perpetuate the violence that they are enacting on black people yeah and to establish chris's trust further so that she can like (laughs) manipulate Manipulate. him and gaslight him yeah and at every instance I think He's they're all so vulnerable. Yes, I feel so bad. I think the whole family are like different facets of white supremacy. Like Jeremy is obviously like violent. You know, he's the KKK. He's like the alt right and outright white supremacist. Rose is this like emotionally detached white female manipulator. Like you know, the lady that got Emmett Till lynched. Like, she's just, like, doing this for sport because it's fun for her. And this also kind of, like, Mm -hmm. goes hand-in-hand with the hypersexualization of Black men in our culture because her, like, Jeremy's methodology is outright violence, but her methodology is seducing Black men so she can basically, like, play with them for a few months before she turns them over to Dean and Missy. Missy is, like, (sighs) this, like, granola, well-meaning white lady, you know, that, like feels like because she has like a lesbian friend in Jamaica Plain that she is like totally on board with all forms of equity and needs no like you know self-reflection and then Dean like doesn't see color you know he's like that guy that is like cool he listens to 90s hip-hop and like he plays basketball and he doesn't see color right (laughs) and yeah he's like a neo-liberal but he's still rich neoliberals that's what I love like like inherited wealth neoliberals are evil because like what chris is getting lulled into is this false sense of security because these people voted for obama and it's insidious like are close to their black like employees because they you know cared for dean's parents or whatever and he just couldn't bear to let them go like it's so insidious and i read in um Maybe I told you about this because it took me so long to read it. The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. It's the story of the Great Migration. So the Great Migration basically happened between like the 20s and all the way up to the 70s because black people were like tremendously suffering and like their lives were at risk in Jim Crow South. So many of them like moved to northern cities. Uh, And the book like interviews various people that like went underwent this like change. And one of the interviewees is like, 
slavery or excuse me, racism in the North is so much scarier because you don't know the rules. Like in Jim Crow Mm -hmm. South, you knew where you could and couldn't go. And like, even though it was horrible and totalitarian and like completely violent, there were like clear delineations about where you went and where you didn't go. But everything is like, unspoken in the north so if there's a section in the train that a black person shouldn't sit in it's not officially labeled and they don't know so in some cases they're like at risk of greater violence because you think that you're safe right like you think that you're in an area that like respects the kind of like autonomy and personhood of black people but instead there's just like a different flavor of racism and that's that's what like all of the northeast is like it's just as like insidious and it's a gross like oversimplification to assume that the south is more racist than the north right i think no that's it's you're right and i uh you know have experienced racism and colorism a lot in boston and a lot here even though like phoenix is a lot more brown but in boston is like you go so many bars that I worked in. I was the only person of color on staff, like on the front of house staff, like everyone in the back oh, yeah. was brown or black, but in the front, yeah. I was the, I was the darkest person around. And now it's so like refreshing that I like work with and around front facing black and brown people, but doesn't mean that there wasn't like, isn't still other forms of racism, but here is, yeah, somebody has a Trump sticker on their car and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to steer clear of you. But in Boston yeah. it's like, some white guy gets drunk at the bar and is like, where are you from? You know, it's like, you. I thought I was safe. Yeah. You know, because we're in a liberal state, a liberal city. Yeah, but. I think, and that's, it's super illuminating because, you know, like, I, I don't know if anyone who cares about this will listen, but my mother-in-law is going to New Orleans and she told Adam that she was nervous because of how racist the South is. And I was like, do you understand New Orleans? And also like, it's not more racist than here. There's just different like avenues to the same product and different like, you know, ways that people in the North are conditioned to like, you know, act out their racism like we're just not like you know we're taught to just like we're indoctrinated to approach it a different way where it's not overt but it is like covert which is much more sinister in some cases at like this like you think you're safe you think you can trust this woman Mm -hmm. you tell her like your deepest darkest secret that you maybe have never revealed to anyone she agrees like i will get you out of here you will be safe with me and then she violates that trust just like for fun and mm-hmm. like it's just so dark it's yeah. very dark and so sad and he like yeah him telling the story of his, like he has to relive the most traumatic like thing that happened to him in his life is the death of his mother and like these unresolved feelings of guilt that he has about not calling the police right away right he has to experience that twice I, I, the first time against his will is like he tells Missy he doesn't want to talk about it. She brings it up and then hypnotizes him into like telling her the whole so story. Disgusting. And like, yeah. And like, that's when we first see his ticks. And then he feels safe with Rose because she is pretending to be on his side and like playing with him, like 
a, like and a, she's doing you know, a little bug job. in her like, spider web. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, and you know, of course, like she doesn't want the cops to go to her parents' house because they're like operating on people in the basement. But also she's, it's a good opportunity for her to like gain more of Chris's trust and like yeah. investment. And yeah. And then, so he like, doesn't immediately run out to the street. He's like, okay, yeah, we're going to pack a bag and go together, babe. You know, like, like I, she will help me. Yeah. And the, oh, and the it's, like minute she spends searching for the keys, you're just like screaming, like, go get like you're screaming get out it's so well done yeah. really it's very well um done. also i will talk s- about cops okay go ahead oh no we can talk about cops we're on the sort of the well i c- thought c- the c- scene cops. C- c- cops i thought the scene where rod goes to the police is so interesting because it shows how like people of color can still be complicit in the system. And like Mm -hmm. the choice, I feel like it's a tough choice. Like the choice to make the cop, the detective that he goes to a black female cop, I think it's like obviously really deliberate because it shows how like anybody can be complicit in white supremacy and in this system. But on the other hand, Bummer, right? <laughs> you know, like bummer, bummer. But you know, three cops that are people of color, like flagrantly laughing at people from their own community, have being like possibly threatened and hurt, is I think like a pretty good representation, like microcosm of what white supremacist culture looks like. Because black cops are out there, obviously, and still a cab. Like, <laughs> sorry, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, five, not very long ago, five black cops just beat the shit out of, beat somebody to death. It's like, white supremacy works very well, and it's doing its job. Like, you have to actively fight against it inside yourself, Mm -hmm. right? We are all racist. We all have racist tendencies. We all have an ingratiated white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Man. What a drag. Yeah, fuck the cops. I really am glad that we got every one of them, except for Reese from Urban Legend. She wasn't a cop. She was a security guard. So she doesn't Okay. And no, don't fuck the TSA. Because really... Infection by Loretta Devine. The TSA are... They're mostly working class people, especially like local yeah. people if your airport if your city has an airport hub like that's a huge employer for the city and you know TSA is just trying to live they they can be dicks but you know a lot of people don't know how to go through airport security quickly that's not their fault um it, me being a person who wants to go through quickly i get frustrated when the person in front of me hasn't taken off don't their fucking you feel jacket like- when that person over there said take off your jacket nine times they said take off Put your jacket and you're not paying the attention the laptop in a separate bin bro <laughs> also um i think i saw a tiktok to this effect but and it's very relatable cuz i feel this way but don't you want to go so fast and so well that the tsa you're like the tsa agent's favorite they're like Oh yeah. yeah, you're like definitely trying to like I'm trying to please them. I'm like trying to like impress Love them me. with how quickly and efficiently I can go through security. I can go through the problem pretty is, fast. I wear like I like I layers. wear I have specific slides. Well, I wear layers and I normally wear hats, especially on a plane because I want to like pull it all the way down and like I wear a mask now 
no like no matter what. So like me pulling the hat down and I have a mask. Like I just kind of and I I'm brown. Can't I look suspicious. People are raw dogging airports without a mask. To be honest with you, like COVID isn't um, over. I just also don't like. I sleep with my mouth open. Like there's a lot of fed factors. I prefer a mask on a plane. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel yeah more anonymous. Like I don't. You're talk also to making other look people at me that could be immunocompromised around you know that you care about them and you give a shit if they die right, or not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I get patted down space almost every time because I'm fat, and they're like. Are you hiding like metal weaponry in your folds? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I went through um, uh, our nephew, like sees our sister's son, came to visit us, and he's like a teenager, so he flew by himself. But we got a pass to take him through. Uh, but Caesar forgot his ID, so I took him through myself through security, and they like I. It, so we got separated, like they were checking his ticket and I was like kind of standing off to the side. I looked so suspicious. I was wearing a hat. I had no bag. And I was like, don't, and nobody even looked at me. But then when I look like I'm traveling, like I've got a carry on, I, you know, yeah, I'm like, okay, pull up. can you stand over here? I'm like, don't I look suspicious right now? Like, I don't. There are I don't have a bag. Having, Doesn't that make you think like, about Why things? do you think I'm here? Know. Yeah. There are times um, when having a stoner husband can be frustrating. Sometimes you just want things to happen the right way the first time. (laughs) Well, that's what – no matter what, Caesar won't travel on a plane, even if it's it's legal now. And if it's legal where we're traveling to and from, doesn't – I just still doesn't make him feel safe. Doesn't make me feel safe either. So – because he's very brown. Yeah, and he's big Um, too. So he's uh, like kind of a high risk. Every time, yeah, I'm sure they pull my dad over when he has Uh, a beard because he like is kind of yeah. He's got a big beard too. Yeah, (laughs) they never pull Adam over. Are there drugs in there? TSA pre with no problem, and he often flies. (laughs) So what? He like flies with flower all the time. Like, I don't think he ever doesn't fly with flower unless maybe he's going international. Caesar would be like dead if he did that. Oh, yeah. He'd be in jail. Yeah. He would be in jail for sure. Um, Womp. Wild times. Womp. So we're running up on I, a little over an hour. Anything oh, else I was going to say again, intersectionality or bust. Um, I think this movie Lakey does Stanfield. That. Well. Uh, it doesn't even come within, like, the. I don't think it passes the Bechdel test. I, Again, we're centering male experiences yeah, and not female You know, you don't even see Missy and Rose talk to each other, really. That's so funny. No. Maybe then their mom and it dog. passes. Maybe it passes because Missy oh. tells um, Georgina to Grandma go, to go take down. a nap. After she spills the tea or almost spills the tea. I think that technically passes, but that's not great. Ugh, yeah, that's not you're great. right. It is like. And technically, I don't know. I don't know, She's but like on the other like hand. like a robot than like a person. True. I don't know. She, but on the other hand, like, it does feel like a really personal movie. And it feels like pieces of yeah. Jordan Peele's experience are drawn into this as a black man in America. And that's 
unfortunately a little bit of a different experience than you know being a part of another marginalized group so it speaks to that experience really well but there are other stories to tell and i think jordan peele has like the prowess and the like conscientiousness to do that well and um i mean nope is nope does that like kiki palmer is an incredible character and nope and there I love are her only character. Like three characters, so I don't think that one passes the Bechdel test but, either. Like, yeah, ninety-five percent of the cast is male. All, all of our, all of our little I loves, know. except for our men. You know, I know you had kind of a, a problem with us, but Lupita was like beyond. She was. I love Nim- I love Lupita yeah. Nyong'o. She can do no wrong, and will you know she's the queen of us all. I don't know. But, I still okay, like what that I was. Movie. Oh, go ahead. That's fine. Don't what I was going to say is that, like, <laughs> is that uh, one of the, like, I don't know, major characters, major plot points in this movie played by Lakeith Stanfield, who has said homophobic things, who has said, um, who is part of, like, a, I don't know, what did you say? It's like a it chat like or something. It seems like it was, like, an anti-Semitic panel that he was moderating is like the vibe that I got. And anti-Semitic panel. He did right. it by accident, but it did still happen. <laughs> um uh he, he said the he said the F word like four years ago. Not the, the fun the, one. Recent the enough, not one. the fun one. Don't say it. It's an intersectionality. You know I like will not don't say it. Why, don't say homophobic stupid bullshit, okay? It He's dead sucks. and I hate to yeah. say it because and again, mm-hmm. I'm a white woman, but it does kind of just like suck to see, you know, like you see it with Kanye, you see it with other like famous black men where they are like, they very much center their own experience and are dismissive of other marginalized groups. And it sucks to see that because if you have a platform, you should want to like lift up the most vulnerable around us. Like you should want to lift up black trans women and punch like, up. Don't punch down. Punch up. Don't punch down. Cause you right. can't shit upwards. I don't know if that applies. You can't um, shit upwards, but I don't think sorry. that Jordan Peele, oh, that one was loud <laughs> that Jordan loud. Peele ever cast <laughs> him again. So maybe, maybe he saw something in him and was like, I, Actually, I don't want to cast you again. You know, he, like, he'll recast are... everybody. Yeah, I think everybody's been recapped. Well, I don't think we have a need for Allison Williams again, but he's pretty he's no. pretty like consistent. Um, I'd love to see more Tim Heidecker in Jordan Peele's movies because <laughs> I have an, you, this is my th- I will be attracted to anything walking. Like I love Tim Heidecker. I would like right. blow up my life. I love Bradley Whitford. I don't know what's wrong with me. But like I said to you via text, Jeremy, the brother, a bridge too far, pure evil. Right. I don't think he's really worked he does, since then either <laughs> because he's His IMDb, he does look very, he's very scary looking. <laughs> um, those faces he was making. He's just but, so weird looking um, too. You know, he can't help it. Well, okay, sorry. his name is Caleb Landry. Caleb, Caleb is Landry a Jones. Name. Very biblical. Um, he's done a bunch of stuff. Finch. I've never seen any of these movies. I don't to know. The what night. These Welcome are. to Stranger. Oh, he was in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So. Oh, I, don't know. I haven't seen that. All yeah. right. Um, final thought. Oh, I thought like. Uh, maybe I'm inventing this, but I thought that there was kind of an interesting nod to like the Crown Act and 
black hair because they the can't really wear their natural hair because they have like massive scars on their forehead. So right. yeah, Georgina wears a wig and the men are always wearing hats. So like you don't see Walter's natural hair and you don't see Andre's natural hair. So maybe I am projecting that onto this, but it I, was like a point of interest. They just, I mean, they have a huge scar on their forehead. That's what yeah. I took it as, but maybe, no, could be, yeah. Or that I'm they're really, there. you know, they're trapped, you know, white people are inside, the white consciousness ins- inside of a black body, they wouldn't know what to do with natural hair anyway. So. True. So, yeah, Georgina's is just, like, braided down and, like, not, you there's not clock even, like, those edges yeah. from <laughs> yeah. a, a mile away, yeah. So I watch a lot of black hair TikTok because it's incredible. It's, like, a full-time job to have like 4C hair and I am learning a lot that I didn't know before. And I am appreciative of every person that I can just watch braid their hair because it's also really soothing. Satisfying. Yeah. Um, I watch a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race. So I I know a lot about wigs and wig edges and glue. I've learned a lot about edges and wig glue. And the thing I don't get like, okay, so if you, <laughs> this is no, has nothing to do with anything, but when people install a wig for like a week or two, isn't it like uncomfortable? Cause they put the foundation down. Like, doesn't that kind of like on top you know, when they bug you sometimes they like, at, when they put the wig cap down, they'll like pat it with foundation to blend it. So it looks like they're actual like face. You could take gel. the foundation off and then like, uh, reapply, right? I, it's just incredible. I mean, this, you you know when you take you watch them take a wig off and they do like a much needed like scalp scratch scratching I yeah I could never go that long without scratching I touch my hair a lot too I, I touch like. my hair constantly constantly well um, that's, that's enough, probably why it's so greasy me talking about shit I know nothing about uh, this is a podcast. So, this is a castipod. Um, next week, we're going back to our roots of just, like, shit that makes no sense. And we'll be covering a movie about Polish mermaids called The Lure, which I'm very excited about. It's a musical about. as well. I think it might be oh, our no. first musical, which is, like, exciting. I hate I, musicals. So. I hate musicals a lot. Um, but that's fine. Maybe it'll be and better then- in Polish. After that, question mark. So DM us if you have a suggestion. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, remember that you can't shit upward and fuck white supremacy. Fuck white and supremacy. I think that yeah. that kind of covers it. Yeah. Yeah. Stay ugly. Oh wait, where are we? Oh shit, we're, we're at sp- Spooky Succubus underscore Cast on Instagram. We just launched a YouTube channel. Rebecca mm-hmm. knows the handle, and I don't. So share it. Oh, sorry. Loud I just and hit proud, the mic. lady. Spooky Succubus cast. At. And we also have a Patreon. You can find okay. us there through the link tree in our bio. And we have a bonus mm-hmm. week. We do a book club. We have a bonus movie. Tales club. from the Hood is up on Tales our from bonus. the Hood is up. We're doing stuff. We'll do whatever you tell us, honestly. And it's just a dollar. Honestly. Okay. We're not owned well, by Vanguard, so we can't you don't have us to play. Unless we can't someone be wants to buy us. In which case, I mean, for the right price. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. I got to okay. Bye. Bye.